0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Yes! Dragon Talk! Woo. Boom! Very Yay. excited for the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast to begin. I'm Greg Tito, and
1: that is Shelly Mazzanoble. That's right!
0: That's you. You're wearing glasses today, so I thought Macy, maybe you were Lisa Loeb.
1: Incognito! Yeah. Um, I am uh, officially at an age where... I go to bed with my contacts in and, and just forget.
0: I think that's how you transform into some type of D&D monster, perhaps a, a oh, hag.
1: I definitely felt like a D&D monster this morning. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, so like for decades, I have gone to bed and taken my contacts out before bed. This is only like the second time that I've done it in my life. And the first time was like, Three weeks ago. So what's happening to me now all of a sudden that I'm forgetting? But when I woke up today, it was like the devil's mustard had gotten (laughs) (laughs) into my eyes. I'm like, why is everything so filmy and weird? And I actually got up, put on my glasses, and like carried on about my business. So I had like eyes, contacts, glasses. And glasses. I was six eyes.
0: And the devil's mustard in there.
1: And the devil's mustard. And I was just like, I don't understand why I can't see. And then, I kid you not, when I went, I showered up, came out, went to put in my contacts and (laughs) could not figure out why they were not in their contact case. What is happening to me? Your eyes
0: are not a contact case. That's not true.
1: Where could they be? And then I realized, wait, why can I see? How come I can see without glasses? Did God give me my vision back? What's (laughs) happening? (laughs) Did I get like my greater restoration? Yes. Ba- <laughs> so what am I what, what is going on? Am I healing myself now? So anyway, that that is the very long reason why I'm wearing my glasses. Just feel like maybe I might need to give the eyeballs a little break today.
0: I feel like this is this is again like, you know, how you turn into a D&D character or something like that. Like you need to start leaving little pieces of yourself, like your hex blood character. Mm-hmm. Uh you're to start leaving your eyelids uh in different places <laughs> and your and your Uh, Contact eyes will uh, start to be able to see the future now.
1: It did feel like somebody did take my eyelids this morning and leave them (laughs) somewhere other than on my face. So, yes, it's a very hex blood thing to do.
0: It is, yeah. And good reference to my affliction during uh, the 2019 (laughs) D&D Live when I had the (laughs) devil's mustard in my eye, when I had double-barrel pink eye on the first day of D&D Live. That's always so great to do.
1: A trooper you were though you were just like that's just it is what it is i'm cosplaying i'm cosplaying right now <laughs> and nobody didn't bother anybody nobody cared you were interacting with everyone still and yeah. clearly very sick but it still- was
0: a uh Oddly enough a prescient a way to like make sure I wasn't touching my eyes, wasn't touching anybody. I was not, oh. you know. I, I usually very like, you know, huggy and it's about you're seeing a whole bunch of people I usually don't see very often, so I wanted to give people, you know, the warm loving embrace, but I was very adamant about elbow handshakes only and that type of thing and uh it trained me up for <laughs> for covid times.
1: You had no idea that yeah. soon in your future you would be the only we one not that touching all your ready eyes.
0: to go. Yeah. Uh, We are excited about this interview with Ruben Bressler this week. Very exciting. He is the Dungeon Master for the Broken Pact at the Saving Throw Show. A crossover between Magic and D&D that began with Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica when that came out uh, late 2018. That was late 2018, right? And then uh, followed up with several seasons. They went to Avernus. They've been to theros uh using that uh book from last year and uh who knows where they're going to go next but it could be very exciting and he has a long history of playing magic the gathering as well as dungeons and dragons and uh performing and how all three of those disciplines mix so looking forward to chatting with him again i've talked to him twice already on the podcast i
1: haven't yeah never works out for us so i'm hoping that three times is the charm for
0: us. and i hope you didn't uh, you know jinx it all by having you know a third eye installed this morning oh no <laughs> oh no Wait,
1: that's where what it all if i came. have a third eye in the back of my head that's, Wait, uh, do you think wes and amanda did this to me
2: it's a callback <laughs> you don't have
0: big body <laughs> growth happening and then that's where the contacts go is that they just you put them on the
1: Oh, all right.
0: So there's a question: If you grow a third eye, and you have bad vision, does right. your third eye have bad vision too? And you need to or, have contacts for it?
1: I feel like if you grow a third eye, then it would get progressively worse. Like it's going to start off twenty twenty, and then yeah. it's like as you age, maybe it gets worse. Or maybe, or maybe it gets th- better. I feel like, but also third eyes are the eye that is more knowing and
0: that sees like all. That's the right? one that
1: yeah. should always have good vision would be just my luck that I would have a nearsighted third eye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've got astigmatism in my third eye. And I got
1: pink eye in my third eye. I, yeah, can't see nothing with my third eye.
0: Yeah. Mm. I also wonder, I mean, I think in the Monster Mayhem uh, thing, the Beholder character has a monocle, right? But you don't see too many. He,
1: uh, the, uh, it's the, the, Mind character has the monocle.
0: Oh, okay. So I'm mixing it up. All right. So yeah, you don't normally see beholders having glasses, but you know. That's a
1: good question. They
0: might. Not have perfect vision in all of their eyes, so now I want to create a cat like a, a bad guy villain, or maybe it's a uh, a nice beholder, uh, or at least one that's allied to the party that has like glasses. That maybe they that's why they're out. so
1: mean. Maybe they're not actually attacking us; they're just bumping into us because they can't see.
0: Like a Mr. Magoo type situation. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Somebody needs to fix. We need to get an optometrist into. D&D oh my gosh.
0: Are there any optometrists that play D anD D? Get in touch with us so we can Please. interview for Dragon Talk.
1: Can you? I'm going to start fundraising to make monocles for Beholder children.
0: I've always wondered why those eye charts are always just letters that don't spell anything. Wouldn't it be better if it was like ampersand yes. and uh, symbols? You know, what is this a
1: loaf of bread? <laughs> what, oh, what is stop. this
0: silhouette? Is it a, a fighter or a cleric?
1: So I was starting to get bad vision in like elementary school, and yeah. I knew that. I couldn't see very well, but I kept lying to people I'm like I'm fine because I was so scared that I would have to wear glasses. And is there anything worse for a 10-year-old girl?
0: To wear glasses?
1: To have to put on a pair of glasses? Yeah, I but then you
0: take them, them off and then every every a boy in every rom-com is like, "Whoa, I didn't know that she oh, was pretty." and then <laughs> to <take laughs> she out, took out, take out
1: my my ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't that savvy when I was 10, but yeah. I used to memorize the eye chart. So <gasps> when I went to the nurse, I would just be like, "E!" j p l and like like before i I would probably have my back to her and i'm starting to like read the chart i wasn't that good at um acting but i I actually (laughs) did yes so this is why i decided to be a theater major if i can fool nurse doritos i can fool anyone
0: wait did she have doritos in her office because her name was
1: mrs doritos
0: well, I feel and like I remember, she should have Doritos ready. This has to nothing go. to
1: do with anything. But I remember also did you did you have to get lice checks oh, in yeah, your classroom? Totally. Yeah. And that was my favorite because I it felt so
0: good. <laughs> it was <laughs> like a like, head massage. It
1: was. I'm like, oh I hope I have lice. So she,
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so she had to do <laughs> it more scratching my
1: head. Oh, it felt oh, so nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: right? Uh the weird things you remember uh about going to the nurse, I just remember getting uh I, I was at a town that discovered Lyme disease. It was, like, the town over for me. And so Whoa. they did this study where elementary school kids would get blood drawn. Uh, You know, you opted into it. But the reason I wanted to do it was because when you got blood drawn, you got a bag of M&Ms. Not, like, the small, like, you know. Here's like the like one-pounder? Like a one-pound bag of M&Ms. And I was like, yeah, I'll I'll take as much blood as you want. I don't care.
1: I would do that. I would do that as an adult.
0: Yeah. Like, it was. Why great. would they
1: do that for a kid?
0: I don't. I don't. I think it was just the incentive of like they weren't getting kids to volunteer for this because they're like, I don't want needles and blood, you know, taken. And then we, it took a significant amount of blood. And then oh, they did, they did no. it before the summer, and then they did it after the summer to kind of track how many kids got Lyme disease. Essentially. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: That is crazy. I know.
0: I think I did it for like two summers. Well, uh, you when were, I was like in fourth and fifth grade.
1: You are a part of science, Greg.
0: I am a part of science. Science. All I remember about it was just getting the candy. That was the important part about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mission accomplished.
0: Mission accomplished. Uh, You Dungeons & Dragons fans that are listening uh, are going to get your own bit of candy in Mm. some delicious, terrifying tales in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft coming out on May 18th very exciting blend of so many different types of horror genres uh, presented in ways that you can uh, have your characters go through the mists of Ravenloft. Check out all these different domains. You can build characters that are you know centered around this by having dark gifts uh, interacting with the dark Lords of each of these domains. And there are tons of guidelines and rules about how to use horror in your D&D game. So, a full-on package,
1: yeah, like a pound of M and M's.
0: Like a pound w- of M and M's. Would you um, accept
1: candy from a dark lord? I,
0: I mean, I probably wouldn't, but my character would.
1: Especially I'm gonna, if they were doofy. I'm going with the opposite. I, my character would not, but I would. Huh. I would. Thousand percent.
0: What if your character had like a wisdom of ten, or like a wisdom of like five? They'd be like, she yeah, would've. candy. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. We have been talking to Wes Schneider, uh, the lead on this book, about the different domains of dread and how they're presented in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And we got a really cool one coming up about Tepest, a domain all about folk horror, the idea of uh, things behind like The Wicker Man or Midsummer or, or Children of the Corn, of, of uh, folkloric horror, and how there's something not right when you might meet those people so very exciting stuff I know right and then being able to hear Wes talk about it is a particular joy so let's get him on the horn and then we'll follow up with our interview with Ruben Bressler okay Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know, where we like to talk about D&D storylines and information that you can use in your upcoming game that might uh, be centered around Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft that comes out on May 18th, or it's just really fun to know, fun stuff to get your brain going. Uh, I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Wes Schneider. Hi, Wes. Hi, Greg. Very excited to talk through this domain of dread, Tepest. Uh, which I don't know very much about. And I don't know if uh, everyone listening does either. So what's the, what's the uh, elevator pitch for Tepest as a domain?
2: All right. So every one of the domains of dread have some horror genre inspiration to them. So I don't think it's any surprise for like Barovia with Count Strad Banzarevich is very much inspired by Gothic horror tropes. Um, Or you might have something like the domain of Blutspur, which is more like alien horror that has like a cosmic horror twist to it. Tempest, we took this domain in a direction which is deeply inspired by folk horror. So this is, you know, films like The Wicker Man or Midsommar, stories like that, where the horror is... At the fringes of civilization, it's it's agricultural. It's it's in the traditions that have been underpinning societies for a long time, or that you know, c- civil civilized or like you know what we consider normal society is like this is normal. But then you get beyond the safety of what you know, and no, there's something older. There's something else. Kind hey, of plays
0: on. It correct me if I'm wrong, does it play on the idea that like that um rural settings are usually portrayed as idyllic and that like everything's happy here because we just farm the land and isn't that great? And then it takes those that idea and flips it up, be like, no, everything is not okay
2: yeah, because exactly.
0: they're gr- growing things that are terrible.
2: Yeah, it's like it's rural, so it's closer to nature, and that's good. And like not necessarily. Interesting. Um, So, Tepest as a domain is... The domain itself is pretty wild. You've got high mountains, you've got dense forests, and you've got land that isn't so much that good for growing and survival. And in tepest is a single village called Victal. And Victal is populated by happy people who are super excited to farm the land and to like fish in the lake and everything's great and nice and good all the time, forever. <laughs> and the young um, people are children of the corn who just love to, mm. Well, that's one of the interesting things is like, if you come to visit, you might start to notice that there's not many kids around Uh-oh. and the kids that are around well, a lot of these people are human or humanish, but all the kids seem to be hexblood, which are mm. one of the new lineages in the book, where they are individuals who have been brought into being through the help of a hag. And that's a little weird. And then so is some of this folksy art and some of these traditions, and particularly a seasonal festival called the Tithing.
0: Oh, I don't know, like, where this is going. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, and this is where uh, players who end up uh, players who end up exploring, who are coming to Victel, will initially find them very welcoming, but they'll start to hear more and more about a regional faith that reveres a deity just called Mother. Mm. And Mother is Strangely, not present necessarily, but close by. She lives in the forest, or she's she's just over there. But everybody's very concerned about mother is watching. You have to make sure to please mother. Don't do, mother likes things just so, so on and so forth. Mm.
0: I'm just i'm I'm anticipating all of the 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 ways that this could go. <laughs>
2: well at that point um just to 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 pull back the curtain a little bit um so the dark lord of this domain uh actually we'll start a little farther back in previous editions the dark lords of the domain was just a group of hags called the three hags um for van Richten's guide we update the story of the three hags a little bit um i don't think it's any secret that uh many of us who work on fifth edition really enjoy hags you see them come up up quite a bit uh in our stories this is one where we wanted to explore all right we've seen hags before what makes a hag a dark lord and in Tempest, rather than saying that this is just ruled, that the domain is ruled by a collection of three hags, we pick out one of them in, the, in, in particular, uh, the hag Lorinda. And she's always been one of the three hags. But the story that we've explored with Lorinda is that, for reasons that I'll let readers find out, um, she has decided to turn against her other two hag sisters and has imprisoned them within their own cauldron within a moving fortress called the Gurgle that uh, ranges almost like Baba Yaga's hut style through Tepest. Oh, cool. um, but Lorinda is particularly interested in creating her own family and creating her own uh her own children, her own offspring, which is something that her sisters didn't want her to do. So now she endlessly works to create her own servants, children, whatever have you, but she doesn't have the power of a full coven, uh, which means that she's limited. So her creations are ill-fated and don't typically uh, survive too terribly long. So she wow. creates these monstrous spawn, but they're they're not long for this world. But there's one way that she's found can uh, to get a little extra longevity out of what she creates about her maid family, and uh, that's to have the people of Tepest essentially make sacrifices to. To this this creature uh, that she creates through these sacrifices, through these rituals, she's able to extend the the life and the livelihoods of uh, of her creations a little longer.
0: Okay, so uh, so that's the tithing then. That's the ceremony that does and that. that's.
2: That's something where the people of the town don't know all of the details. They don't know that mother is a hag. They don't have all of the details on what's happening with her. So they themselves, and through the manipulations of Lorinda as mother uh, and through her disguises she's manipulated this town and allowed them to create their own mythology that is oh the mother protects us oh she brings the fertility to the crops oh she's the reason everything's fine and safe here all we have to do is once a season have this grand festival and whoever is like the the uh the chosen of the festival they get to have this you know Slightly fatal, but still honored encounter with, uh, with the mother and and her her creation.
0: What is her what a uh, horrific thing is the creation? What 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 is it?
2: The lovely thing is that's up for uh, the DM to decide. We give you we give you a variety of options because this is a case where we want to make sure that. <laughs> If we said that, like, and the monster's ultimately uh, a bugbear, a minotaur, whatever, it (laughs) locks it into a certain CR band. Um, So we wanted to make sure that... Lorinda's creations, you know, can be frightening to a group, whether, you know, their first level or, you know, their, their 20th level. So we part of the adventure creation section of this domain is identifying and determining what's the creation, what mother's child here is, um, creating one that's right for your group.
0: Well, that makes sense, so that it can be a... Uh, um... Just a, a a designed experience that a dungeon master can do, and, yeah. and and not even just for the for the challenge rating portion of it, but something that has effects on the party as a whole would be would be way more interesting than just a random bugbear.
2: Absolutely, and since uh, Lorinda is constantly going through this experience again and again, and like creating these different monstrosities, um, it makes perfect sense for sometimes it might be something like this, sometimes it might be some other sort of some other sort of terror
0: yeah i mean i even like the i mean this is why it's fun for a dungeon masters to come up with this type of thing right but, but i like the idea of it being a uh cumul- cumulative uh thing right so there it's you know you're actually creating a you know over time after every, every year or every season where this occurs it's just getting more and more monstrous and more uh larger
2: yeah. And I mean, and that's the, that's a perfectly cool story for, for something like this. I sort of like the idea of, you know, coming to Tepest, meeting the people of call, being like, okay, y'all maybe aren't great to begin with, but you certainly are in a worse situation than you deserve. Experiencing that, leaving and having other adventures, and then coming back and finding like, oh, you're still doing your thing. Oh, and it's worse now. Yeah, mm. I should have
0: dealt with this before. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so what? how do the 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 children that you mentioned early on uh, being Hexbloods, how does that figure into this?
2: So there's a description of, of Victala in detail as well as um, the tie that happens there about just little elements that are off about the town. Like in general, the people of Victala are um you know quite friendly but they're also friendly under duress and they're friendly because they would prefer to maybe sacrifice a stranger to the horrible (laughs) thing at the end of the tithing or the end of the tithe as opposed to their neighbor or loved ones or whatever have you so there's a considerable amount of description put into just little things that groups might notice about uh about the the village uh, that that feel off. Uh, certainly, if anybody has ever seen the movie uh, The Wicker Man, the original The Wicker Man, um, then that movie is like um, like it does such a good job of just sort of killing the protagonist with kindness. It's like everything's so nice, but also oh there's like this creepy maypole dance and there's this like rural like celebration uh, just and people are missing and so on and so forth and everybody in town is like no it's fine it's great like we love come, have here a beer with us yeah. exactly um but you know some things are definitely off whether it's in the artistry whether it's in the music or whether it's hey none of the like, all of the kids here definitely have some fae touched angle to them. What's up with that? Uh, hey, let's go have a drink at the pub.
0: <laughs> Little do they know that the pub is full of bees. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everything's bad. Everything's bad.
0: Well, I find, uh, you know, that type of horror, you know, uh, extremely off-putting uh you know as anybody does even if you've gone to a uh a, you know a rural town that is new to you uh you know you start coming up with you know those types of storylines even without the the, the 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 fantastic nature that's going on here so it's uh, it plays on stuff that is part of um you know that is part of the human experience which i really enjoy
2: yeah. and well good deal of the domain focuses on, hey, this is the experience of this dark lord and how she has affected this one particular town. Tepes as a whole has far more opportunities to it. Um, and in the folk horror here is definitely a focus, but this is also do, a domain that in a way that's quite different from sort of the fairy tale horror of Dementliu plays up the creepy fae angle. There are dark woods. There are witches in them. There are creepy ancient fae. Um, we know that, um, In the hinterlands of Tepes, there's like several valleys that are each haunted by some different type of fae that are many of them are malicious or many of them are your your real story or your real sort of, um, you know, Grimm's fairy tale sort of like kidnapping fae, the sort where it's like, we don't go into the wilderness because the wilderness is active, alive, populated and aggressively antagonistic toward us
0: right which is uh which is a great way to set up going to that village too right like you made your way through all these horrors and then it's like here people are welcoming you uh that you can finally get some respite and then you are like but wait no this is the actual real adventure is is what's happening in this town
2: yeah you might not there might not be any walls preventing you from leaving but this is better than going into the forest and maybe never being seen again.
1: Right.
0: Um, so you mentioned the Fey connection a couple of times here. How does that figure into uh, the, you know, cosmology? Right. Like, is is there a way that, like, if you're in the Fey wild, you can you can go to uh, uh, this this domain and, and vice versa?
2: Definitely. I mean, this is the sort of thing where there's with the thematic variety throughout the book and the way that the mists work and the the way that the mists of Ravenloft can just sort of like creep into any part of the multiverse, you don't necessarily need to be like, on an adventure on the material plane or like doing this spooky thing over here. I mean you could be traveling the Feywild, you could be on an outer plane, you could be wherever, and the mists might have reason to to scoop you up and bring you into a domain for, you know, for a that's your experience now, or for, you know, a night or two horror adventure. And if you're playing if you're playing a heavily Faye inspired sort of campaign, and you'd like to do a like you'd like to do those stories, those sorts of stories with more of a horror twist. And Tempest is a fantastic setting for for that sort of vibe.
0: Excellent. Well, I love uh, everything you're talking about here, except actually having to experience it. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, Nice. That that makes a good Ravenloft DM. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. I I I will
0: uh, tell these stories for all of you, but uh I, I won't have to deal with um, you know, creepy villagers, in a in a in an idyllic rural setting, you know. That's uh, yeah. not my, not my jam. Uh all right, so awesome. Uh how can people uh, you know, get excited about this coming out on May 18th and perhaps uh, pepper you with more questions about it?
2: Uh if you want to hunt me down online, Twitter is probably the easiest easiest way. Um my uh, my name on there is F. Wes Schneider.
0: Excellent. Well, I am looking forward to all the stories that people will be able to tell using uh, all the domains of dread and tools within Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, and I can't wait to hear more. So, thanks a lot, Wes.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: It's full of
1: bees, Shelly. That's really good. Van Richten's Guide to Raven Lost has B. Like the letter B?
0: The, the letter B. It's brought to you by the letter bees B. are in there. Barovia.
1: Yeah, definitely that. Bagman. Bats. Belfry.
0: <laughs> Banana. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think there's any bananas Hmm. in. Well, it might be be in uh, one of the the jungle uh, uh, domains. Yeah. Cholt? I don't think Cholt is a domain of dread, but we'll go with it. Sure. Why not?
1: Well, I I moved on to a different book.
0: And a different letter.
1: I said there'd be bananas in Cholt because you said a jungle. Yeah,
0: that's true. There would be, as well as Tabaxi. But we'll get to what's happening with Drunkie and Daryl after our interview. With I Ruben. Like,
1: I feel like she's gonna start a fight. She's the gonna same. start some
0: fights. It's true.
1: Okay. Talk to Ruben.
0: Yeah, yay! Y'all.
1: Yeah, y'all.
0: Everybody, let's welcome Ruben Bressler. Yeah, yay! Hi
3: everybody. It's Ruben, good
0: to be
1: back. It's yay. Good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to officially meet you. Yeah. Sort of, as we were just right. discussing. This is your third time on Dragon Talk. You are almost at uh Wolfgang Bauer levels here.
3: <laughs> I will take that as a compliment. It is a compliment. I, I, I I'm very pleased to be invited back and have had such a long relationship with D and D and Dragon Talk, and I've been in studio, and I've been out of studio, and I've been in, you know, all sorts of different uh, conversations and events and things like that. But first time actually meeting you, Shelley. I know. Yeah. Um, as the universe has sort of two ships passing in the night. We've never been on the same show. Actually.
1: I don't know why the universe has conspired to keep us apart. And as we were saying before recording, it it almost conspired again today because I had serious technical difficulties. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen in this interview now that we are finally talking. <laughs> it could be good or
0: it could be very, very bad. Only, te- only the fate of the dice will tell. Right.
1: Who knows? Well, anyway, I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I feel like we have known each other, so I'm I'm happy to to get to talk to you finally.
3: Well, I appreciate that, and I'm a fan of I'm obviously a fan of everything Dungeons and Dragons and Dragon Talk, and both of you as well. So I'm well, yeah. excited to have a have a sit down chat.
0: Not to mention yeah. that other little game, uh, Magic the Guthering. I
3: think right. it's called.
1: Hmm. Yes, I'm not familiar with that.
3: <laughs> you have to that they may they make that on a different floor of the building. I think. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Um, It's very easy to miss if you just skip the elevator. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I've been making magic content for much longer. Uh, I started writing magic articles when I was in college, probably, I was probably 20. Um, Wow. So I've been making magic content for almost 15 years. Uh, And then D&D is much more recent in terms of content, Um, you know, making shows and writing things and things like that. Yeah, did, I, did you
1: think when you were a 20-year-old college student writing articles for magic that there c- could be a career path in making content and shows based around magic and D&D?
3: Yeah. So it's weird. Um, I went to school kind of for performance. I say kind of because I ended up majoring in English, but I was always – but I had a film minor – um, I was always doing whatever I could to get into the performance classes. You know, I was constantly uh, surrounded by people who were actors and screenwriters and stuff like that. And so, and I've always played games. I've always been a nerd. You know, I've, I've been playing d and since I was a tiny baby and, and playing oh. Magic since I was 12 or 13 or whatever. And so it seemed like an obvious avenue to combine the two things and one of the early uh youtube creators for magic the gathering is a guy named evan Irwin, who i'm now a co-host with on a show called magic mics uh m-i-c-s
1: i (laughs) I love that name which is yeah
3: it's a great (laughs) i was very proud of that one um yeah and so we that's like a magic the gathering uh talk show essentially and he created something called the magic show like he was the first guy to make youtube content on magic and you could see it blowing up. And I was like, well, I like games. I like performance and making videos, you know, mix it together. And that's sort of how that became about. And a similar story happened with d and of like, wow, this live stream thing is a thing that's happening. Kind of want to be a part of it. Uh, and I watched stream of many eyes from my house in Vegas at the time. And was like, I got to be a part of that next year. Like that's, I, I have to leave now. And go be a part of whatever is next year. And, yeah, luckily it worked out. Yeah, Yeah. so
0: you moved to L.A. right at that time, right?
3: Yeah. So, Stream of Many Eyes happened 2017-ish. No, that was 2018.
0: Oh, 2018. Yeah.
3: Okay, so it was 2018. Stream of Annihilation
0: was 2017.
3: Ah, right. So I did... I I watched both of those, and they were both very inspiring to me of, like, I have to go do this thing. Um, And... So I just kind of was ready to pack my bags and move to LA because I wanted to do voice acting and do this other stuff too, but I couldn't really do it from where I was. Um, And luckily, it all kind of worked out together. Where I was like, "All right, I am building this show already, this D and D Magic the in a Magic the Gathering universe idea already. I'll just make it when I get to LA, and I'll figure it out when I get there." Right? I am not. I don't didn't really have a plan ahead of time. Um, Luckily. Greg and Company kind of gave me a plan, which was very nice. Yeah,
0: so yeah, you were, we were just talking about this. How you came up to Seattle uh, for a completely different event, and just happened to be like, oh yeah, we can come into the office and look around, and and hey, I got something to talk to you about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so a ambush. Greg, it was
3: kind of <laughs> an ambush. Yeah, uh, so. <clears throat> I had been working on casting this Magic D&D show before any of the products had been released that combined the two. And I had some friends in Magic who had played D&D and was gonna, you know, it was gonna be a Magic players in a D&D world. So we all sort of had that zeitgeist. Um, And then I was planning on going to GP Seattle anyway, Grand Prix Seattle, um, and was like, hey, I'm gonna be up, you know, in the area during this time can we just do my interview that weekend while I'm in the area? And Greg was like, great, we'll do that. And then said, Hey, can you come in a couple hours early for just to, just to hang out? And I was like, sure. So I get there and the room has Greg and like six other people in it. Some of whom I recognize, (laughs) some of whom I don't, you know, like Blake Rasmussen's in the room um, who I, who I'd known for a while. Um, there, you know, there were magic people and there were D and D people, and then there were like a couple of like business people who I didn't really recognize. I was like, "What? Am I in trouble?" The suits, base. I mean, kind of, you know, whatever passes for suits at, at Wizards. <laughs> right.
0: Um, that
1: would be, I don't know, socks. Maybe they were right. Yeah, having having <laughs> the
3: silver D and D t-shirt, clean cardigans. Yeah, yeah. Po- the polos actually. <laughs> the polos,
0: um, that's
1: it. So they
3: they were like, "So tell us your plan," and I was like, "Here's here, that," and then I told them what I just said to you, and then they were like. Cool. How would you like to do that officially for Dungeons & Dragons? uh, We're releasing a book in six months called The Master's Guide to Ravnica. It coincides with Magic the Gathering going back to Ravnica. Oh, by the way, nobody knows this yet. So please don't tell anybody.
1: <laughs> and and here like, you are thinking, I'm just going to go get a tour. Right. And maybe I'm just score a free happy teacher. to be there.
3: <laughs> exactly. I'm taking pictures of, of Mitzi in the lobby. Oh, I'm just like, man, Mitzi. this is a nice trip. And yeah. And then it wound up. Wound up like this.
0: So. Yeah, and then that was the genesis of the Broken Pact, right?
3: Yes, that was the genesis and the beginning of the Broken Pact, which was initially the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica show. Uh, the first one, really, yeah. uh, which was nice. And uh, with Saving Throw Show, starring Jordan Pridgen uh, at the time, uh, he has since left the show, but Garav Galati, uh, Ashlyn Rose, and Riley Silverman. Um, And we have had uh, four total seasons of the Broken Pact at this point, two of them on Ravnica, one in Avernus, Mm. and then the most recent season uh, from the comfort of our own homes in Theros, um, which is, yeah, we've had a couple of specials here and there. Um, Yeah, it was great.
0: It's been really great, I think, showing the breadth of fandom in the magic world around the lore and the storytelling within it. I think that was... What was so compelling about your 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 pitch and your idea about uh, of of doing a D and D show set in the magic worlds was that there's all this great storytelling that happens in like you know one or two lines of flavor text on each card uh, and the artwork and things like that. But there's so much wonderful stuff there. You know, some of which uh, James Wyatt brought more to life in the art books. But man, being able to have Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica and uh, the Theros book give those those D and D things having and having you guys uh, dramatize
3: that. Yeah, was just a slam dunk. Yeah, I was really excited to be able to tell a lot of these stories because there is huge, deep lore. Uh, especially, I mean, Ravnica is such a ripe opportunity because it's a city plane. And it is so different from everything that D&D had done to that point. The gods are essentially irrelevant in Ravnica. And that was a really unique opportunity to sort of explore what a... Deity kind of deity lists in uh, city is like, then you go to Theros and it's the exact opposite. It's the photo negative. The gods are literally walking with you <laughs> and. To And being able to pull all of those unique inspirations from the different kinds of, you know, I did a lot of noir stuff in the first season of The Broken Pact. I wanted to have a much more Xena-like feel when I did Theros. And, you know, I was hugely inspired by uh, both Mad Max and The Wizard of Oz for Avernus. Mm -hmm. Um, But also... Because I have all this Magic the Gathering knowledge in my head, I get to pull out these references and flavor texts and side characters, and be like, "You know, who would fit here is this tertiary character from this story, and this line would fit in this situation." And it was, it was just a, a really excellent confluence of my interests being able to combine the two.
1: Yeah, that is pretty cool. Gosh, I. No, I think you. Ca- I was thinking of a question which you're kind of answering as you're talking, but wondering how. It was, because you said you played DD for a long time before. Yeah.
3: My parents were in the same DD group before they started dating. So uh, they played, yeah, they played second edition <laughs> together. Uh, and so they would put me to bed at seven. And then they'd go downstairs with their friends and see me peering over the railing around 8, 8.30. And then sometimes <laughs> they'd let me play the tavern keeper's assistant. But most of the time they'd put me back to bed. But I got bored by the time they started rolling dice. Right? Oh,
1: you just like the story part. Um, yeah, I'm just
3: over it. And so then I get to college and now I'm back into D&D and back into collaborative storytelling and back into stretching those improv muscles. And then I fall away from it for a bit. And then I'm like, well, I want a hobby now. And I come back to D&D, come back to the performance, come back to the, you know, I'd been a stand-up comedian for a while. I want to do that kind of energy of pinging off of people. Um, and it's always been sort of a, a thing that I've come, at, come back to. It's like comfort food. And yeah, yeah.
0: yeah and so four seasons of Broken Pact. You just had the season finale uh, for the last season. How did that? How did that go?
3: I gotta tell you, I think that it is the best uh, job I've done as a DM for a Zoom game. Mm. Um, and because Zooming Zoom is way different than live. Because um, I I I'm kind of helter skelter to begin with. Being able to focus on one thing on my computer is, is not going to happen most of the time. I need to really hone in. Um, and the episode just wound up perfectly. I like the the dice knew how to tell the story, which you, I love. Um, they always do, and you have to just sort of you know let let the dice take the wheel. Um, But it wound up so fun and it was a very combat heavy episode, which can get bogged down sometimes when you're doing a streamed game. But the combat was so different. Everyone was doing different things. There were a lot of different uh, interactions happening across the battlefield, different um, outside uh, effects were happening. And so being able to keep it new and fresh every round, every turn, it was it was a ton of fun.
1: Yeah, I like that, that how you say the dice knew how to tell the story because I mean they you can't control them, but when they work in in your favor, that is yeah. always a bonus. Uh, so you kind of touched on this a little, but you I mean obviously we've all had to change how we did things in the last year being uh, virtual. So what what are you finding as either like the challenges or maybe there's even pros to being virtual versus being around the table together? What are some of those differences? Sure.
3: I, I mean, I am the oldest man when it comes to <laughs> technology and adopting it for d and I didn't use D&D Beyond for season one of The Broken Pact. I used my book and my character sheets and my pencils and papers. Huh. And it, it took me a while to get even into the simplest level of you know, note-taking online, um, much less using uh, tools like Roll20 to be able to have a battle map. So being foisted into this technological environment that I'm not used to, I, I'm, I'm not good with computers. This is not my area of expertise. Um, technology frightens and, and confuses me. <laughs> but you know, being needing to do it is a, is, is hugely important. And there are some benefits um, to having everyone having essentially a laptop in front of them. Everyone has access to the entirety of the rule books at a, at a touch of a button. They don't have to futz with, you know, a paper book, which can get in the way. Um, being able to have, to, to see uh, things like line of sight and darkness and having those kind of discussions is, is great. Being able, another great thing is having uh, hidden guests if you do mm. something like that, which we didn't end up doing this season, but if you want to have somebody waiting in the wings and spring it on your players, it's a lot easier to click a button on Zoom than have them hide in the closet during the pre-show <laughs> and everybody's set up and <laughs> keeping that secret.
1: And then you so, forget that they're there. And right, they're exactly. weeks, like a few later, weeks it's so uh, awkward. Or the players just <laughs> don't go
3: in that direction, right? They For don't meet trip. the shopkeep because they don't go to the shop. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, there's a lot of benefits uh, and... For me, I, I I thrive in the live setting. Um, I also have um, some social like issues with my brain, where I I I have a problem in a live setting. Much less delayed over Zoom, not seeing the body language, not seeing everything that I need. You know that I would like to be able to see to be able to run a game uh, well. Not not just. Um, from a, from a good standpoint, but from a standpoint of that people feel like I'm invested mm. or that people feel like I'm not interrupting them constantly. Um, it's very difficult over Zoom. I, and I also like like physical minis, building maps. Um, that kind of stuff is, is hugely important to me. But the fact that we've had access to Zoom Dungeons and & Dragons and Discord and things like that has been a huge boon. I'm in two home games right now. One as a DM, one as a player, over Zoom with friends of mine from Vegas that I moved away from, mm. and you know some of the people in that game are in Pittsburgh, and you know I've been playing <clears throat> with with some folks who are in Seattle uh, or, or at least outside of Seattle, and um, it's it's refreshing to be able to have uh, physical contact without physical contact. Those games have kind of kept me sane.
1: Yeah.
0: We've been hearing that a lot. I mean, that's such a nice way to stay connected to uh, friends and family over the... I mean, we, we heard it before the pandemic when when the rise of video conferencing became kind of uh, more more all-consuming all around the world where, you know, we lighthearted stories of like, oh, a, a parent is able to stay in contact with their daughter by playing, you know, uh, across the Pacific ocean on a zoom call uh, and things like that. But now it's like, all right, that's pretty much standard. You know, I've got right. two or three games. I and mean, I've heard from people who be like, yeah, I play, you know, D and D, you know,
3: five times a week. And you're like, what? <laughs> and she's like, well, it's my yeah, only social yeah. interaction. Like, what else am I going to do? My, my DM for my tomb of annihilation game, DMs like six games a week. And I'm like, I'm tired oh. at one, <laughs> let alone, you know, two, like, how do you have, how do you have the mental capacity you know, because a lot of people also, I think, recharge their batteries with social interaction. Yeah. I kind of get drained by social interaction, and so it, it does take effort for me to to get out there. But by the same token, I need—we're humans; we're social animals. We need to see people, and my Discord chats and my Zoom games have been hugely important to that. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah Greg, you're—you were in a similar place where. You- your home game had to move virtually, but you have managed to somehow still have physical show physical representation. Virtual. I've tried. Right? Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't know if I'm successful. Right. <laughs> In that I have a. Bart I have says a, you are. I have a, a camera. It's it's not awesome. It's like 720p, mm-hmm. and it shows an image, but. It like theater of the mind. Everyone's asking the question, be like, How far away am I? I'm like, yeah. Oh, well, like you can see, you're six squares away. So I end up doing the counting and doing all that anyway. So it's really just an affectation of mine at this
3: point. So I did a show called Tales from Tetheria, which was a YouTube show yeah. with uh, Jovenshire, Lasercorn, Atomic Mari, and Noah Grossman. Nice, and- Smosh Games crew. Yeah, old, yeah, it was the old school Smosh Games crew. And uh, I had a physical map set up on my table and a second camera to be able to uh, have 3D maps, be able to use my Jenga blocks to build, you know, buildings, uh, have actual minis and, and practical effects that I had a ton of fun with, and to have 3D environmental stuff. Because it's really tough. You know, you have a flat screen. It's tough to, to gauge and so, if you have a physical map, even if it's just in a small box in your in your zoom window, that that's it makes a world of difference.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the leveling up of video conferencing where people, you know, it'll be a it'll be a big enough resolution so it won't feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're just like looking at, at at a pixelated image of a very small mini, but then being able to zoom and have the not. Necessarily, the host be the one who's in charge of that, but having the play each player be able to change and see their view the way they want to, like you had at the table, right? Like that's the one great thing is that if if everybody's around the table, you can look and bend and and see what you need to see uh from whatever angle you want, and that's the only part that's really missing for me at this point. But you know, you have the minis, so part of me is like, I want to be able to show them off exactly. as much as I can. <laughs>
3: Like these are, these are my accessories. I want to, I want to show off my, my cool new duds, you know, keep up with the Joneses, show them my new mini kind of deal. And you can't do that really anywhere else other than on the table. When you, yeah. you when you unveil invo- when you unveil that sweet mini, right. Mm-hmm. As a DM, you're just like, you make this thing, you spend your time painting or crafting it. And then you're like, oh man, this is going to be this is going to be a good time when I get to reveal it, and you like hide it in a black napkin, right? <laughs> you ever done this? Yes. Where you're just like, all right, you walk into the room, and the lights are low, and you hear like a growl, and suddenly you see and you unveils whatever it is you <laughs> just made, and your players go, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" That that feeling is isn't there, and I'm looking forward to it coming back. Yeah, for sure.
1: I have one of my favorite minis memories is my in my very first D&D campaign I was playing an elf sorceress and she could cast mirror image and we cuz we're wizards and we have lots of minis around the office the dungeon master actually found like 8 minis of my character the same one I was playing so when I cast mirror image I could like put her in formation okay. <laughs> like all of her That's little cool. minis And yeah, so they, and I could even like hide the real Astrid in that pile. So if the, if I were hit by a monster, I could tell the Dungeon Master that actually didn't hit me. That hit one of her. It's still one of my favorites.
3: During the Avernus season, we had a couple of car chases effectively, and we got to use, you know, Hot Wheels cars effectively, like through a canyon, (laughs) right? To, to sort of measure distance. I love that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: I agree. It really does make the 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 argument that D and D is just play, like right, <laughs> like because you're using matchbox, you're using the little toys, you know, and it, it just harkens back to, you know, how uh, uh, Gary Gygax when he was writing monsters from the Monster Manual was really just taking like, oh, here's a toy I found yeah. that I've been using at, at, at the miniature. It's an owl bear, uh, you know. There it is, and I'm like that's right.
3: that is uh, d- such a D and D thing to be able to use matchbox cars. I think my best minis story is that we did a a Christmas special for the first se- after the first season of the Broken Pack called "Is It Christmas Yet?" <laughs> uh, spelled "Is It" like the like the Guild, and they had to go on an adventure to essentially save Christmas. And before the game started, I said uh, there is a rule: you eat what you kill. And all of the players looked at me and they were like, that's kind of gruesome. And then the first combat happens and it's a bunch of evil snowmen that I represented with marshmallows. And I said, remember... You eat what you kill. I'm like, oh. oh, I get it. Yeah. And then like uh, the big bad ended up being like a chocolate muffin thing that I found. And they were like, I don't this think I want to be the killing blow. That's way too much
1: food. Yeah.
3: No, I would be all over it. That is it was, very
1: motivating for me. Like I would be like, let's yeah. fight a wheel of brie. Let's the go. Maps, the maps <laughs> that I made for that
3: special were in gift box lids. And I made them out of frosting. And like, so I made a snow frosting expanse
1: with with cookie
3: pine trees that I covered with the box. And I said, and as you're walking through the woods, let's see what you get. And I placed the present in the middle of the the table. Oh, that's so so great. Yeah, that was fun.
0: Now Very at the next D anD D session we have that's something like that we'll be like all right here comes a porterhouse steak uh, it's going right. to attack you. <laughs> you gotta eat it all when you <laughs> kill <Welcome> it to <laughs> meat mountain <laughs> coming to get you oh here's that entire s- celery stalk uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a tree ant you gotta kill it and then eat the entire thing
1: that I would do smothered in crunch brie crunch it down uh, smothered in brie <laughs> I'm really feeling the brie right now it's do an you ooth. think are we gonna be weird again when we can play D together in person like what's that gonna be like you know the short answer is
3: yes <laughs> the longer answer is it's gonna take a minute to for because you know, so i'm type one diabetic i went outside like a total of 25 times during this whole thing wow um, most of which was to my aunt and uncle's house across town um i didn't go to a grocery store i didn't do any of that stuff I'm now fully vaccinated in my sort of cool down period, and I mm-hmm. went to Costco yesterday. Whoa! And I was like, this "What was is that a lot.
1: like?" Yeah, it was a lot. I, you I mean, jumped right in. <laughs> I don't
3: like being outside with strangers to begin with, and it was a lot of you know input and noise and getting used to that again will be tough. Like, I'd love to go to Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. I'd love to. I'm not ready to go to Galaxy's Edge mentally right now. Yeah. I'd love to go back to my LARP. I'm not mentally ready to be in that environment again. the 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 most I've seen uh, the most people I've seen in one room at the same time is when all four of my roommates are in the ki- or all, all three of my roommates and I are in the kitchen together.
1: Yeah,
3: it's gonna take a minute, and we'll get we'll get there. And D and D is a safe space and a comfort zone for a lot of people. And so being able to get back into the groove of socializing with that safe space is a great first step.
0: Yeah. yeah. I I keep thinking about conventions and, and, and events like that and, and seeing pictures of it even just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies yeah. uh, at this point. Or even just watching movies or film that are like, oh, why are there so many people? They're hugging. They can't be touching oh, like that.
1: They're and waiting in figuring... line
3: at the bank. Are they crazy? So close <laughs> together
1: like that.
3: Yeah. I can't. What I think about is on the floor. Like I love Gen Con. I think about Gen Con and I go, yeah. I don't, I mean, that's a lot. I tolerate Comic-Con and thinking about that main central Oof. area where the, the guys with the loudspeakers are. I'm not, that's not a thing. I'm going to, it, it makes me uncomfortable thinking about it. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to take a while, even for people who are not, you know, social hikigomoris like I am. Um, that, uh, Wait, what's that term? <laughs> Hikigomori. These are the uh, Japanese people who don't, uh, this is a Japanese term, it's the Japanese elderly who don't leave their homes uh, for like 10, 15, 20 years at a time. Interesting, um, I never heard that. Yeah, mm, it's, yes. a, it's a social thing in, in Japanese culture. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, to, for even for people who are extroverts, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, much less people like me who, like, this is my element. Like, I like not seeing people.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my wife has been saying. Where, where you know, we're in the doldrums of it this this winter, uh, she's like, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, eh, you know, it's cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I get to play my games and, and uh, have some some time alone. And if I need uh, social interaction, I've got Shelly to talk to. I've got you know my, my uh, 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 games to 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 run. Uh, and that's all I really need because I, I I have a similar you know brain makeup to you where i can be extroverted when needed to be but uh, my default is but you know what i need to shut down and 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 not talk to anyone so uh i've been i've been okay with it as well and it's going to be a real uh you know leap of faith uh to get back into uh, a more normal lifestyle like that but you know we will things will happen it will it will occur and and uh you know if we're if we're getting excited about things to come one thing that i am is this uh Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set that's yeah. coming
3: for Magic. That yeah. might be the thing that gets get me us to out go of our houses, stores. Right? I know, right? Yes. I mean, it comes out in what July? It's close. Mm-hmm. It's close to having pre-releases. We'll see. I know that the Wizards Play Network announced that I think Africa and Japan are going to have events in stores starting in May. We aren't there, but you know it's close. And if we get to do Forgotten Realms stuff, I know it's crazy with yeah. people. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, we've had Theros and Ravnica coming from magic into D&D. And, you know, now they're like, okay, we're allowed to cross the streams a little bit now. Because there was a while there, and by a while there, I mean like 20 years, oh, where it was like, decades. thou shalt not touch. <laughs> yep. Thou shalt not cross over IPs, right? Yeah, right.
0: why now- is that, Shelly? You might be the only one who knows the answer to that.
1: I don't know the answer. I just re- very remember that... Um, We just didn't. We just didn't do that. I think maybe there was a belief that the fan bases were different, but they're not. There's actually quite a bit of crossover Mm -hmm. or I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. It was a big deal when we started doing it, though.
3: I mean, a lot of things used to be a big deal. Like there was a point in time when Wizards were like, we're not putting a Magic Grand Prix in Las Vegas because it's Las Vegas. And they started doing it, and they are like, well, I guess we're doing this every year now because it's the biggest thing ever. <laughs> so you you reach these signposts, and then they go, oh, this works. And now Magic is making, like, a Lord of the Rings thing and a Warhammer 40K thing. And finally, we're getting, instead of Magic going into a D&D book, we're getting D&D going into a Magic yeah. set in a standard legal expansion, which means that all of the people that play the most popular format of the game are going to start seeing things like... Beholders, which don't mind exist players. in magic the gap. Yeah, mind flayers. There may be names. Oh my god, it's a gelatinous cube card is insane. Like these are things that don't exist in the magic multiverse in any conceivable way yet. Um, and it's gonna be really exciting to see what they what they combine. I mean, we do have bag of holding, which I will say I uh officially previewed uh oh. you know, <laughs> <bit> of- <gasps> but <Nice>. um <laughs> But yeah, there, there's, the, the combination will be even bigger, and I'm really excited for that.
0: Yeah, I like how the uh, mechanics in Zendikar kind of uh, uh, had the rogue and the cleric and the, you know, right, the, kind the of party, like the party mechanic. mechanics. Yeah. And I think that was really just paving the way for how uh, you can make awesome things happen in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Zendikar is like this adventure plane.
0: Um, anyway, right.
3: And 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 you want to have those kind of you know big Indiana Jones adventures when you're on the adventure plane, and one way you can do that, especially if you're wizards of the coast, is to tap into the Dungeons and Dragons aesthetic, which they certainly did uh, when they when they went back to Zendikar the most recent time. I love that stuff. I think it's it's great, and it only makes sense to if you have two huge. Like billion dollar IPs, why not have a little bit of chocolate with your peanut butter? Like what? Like why not combine the two in new and interesting ways? See what works and see what doesn't. You're allowed to have mistakes happen. Um, it seems difficult for this one to be anything but a huge success. Um, but certainly, I think that the magic expansions going to D and D, the Theros stuff, and the Ravnica stuff have been nothing but but hits.
0: Yeah. And I love the idea that it's expanding the multiverse, right? I mean, there's there's always that idea in magic that you go to different planes and you get to see uh, different societies and how they grow up. And and D and D's had a similar idea throughout its entire history with the idea of 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 Greyhawk and Dragonlance and and uh, you know Dark Sun having these different things, but never really kind of codified into being one multiverse until fifth, kind of as as, as, as played with that a little bit more. Um, and so I just love the idea that like, all right, well. You know the 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 plane of Athens for Dark Sun is just a plane that that the Planeswalkers haven't gone to yet, right. or, or maybe they have. Maybe they have that that's why it's as messed up as it is. And I love that kind of you know, as you would put it, the chocolate peanut butter mix of how these ideas that are not that different,
3: right, can
0: can be in the same you know multiverse.
3: Yeah, the metaphysics are not that difficult to hand wave or yeah. explain fully if you really want to be like, well, this is how they're connected. Or you can just say, eh, a wizard did it, and say,
1: <laughs> your <"Ya> planes <laughs> magic, walk magic.
3: to Theros, and then Theros is like, oh, I didn't know there was this other world, because of course they wouldn't, right? So it's very easy to to put it together, and it only makes sense because the magic, the good thing, one of the good things, is that the magic worlds are unique in and of themselves, but they're also unique even to D&D worlds, Mm. where you don't have a plane made of metal like you do with Mirrodin. You don't have a plane that is sort of Greco-Roman inspired, really, like Theros. Um, you know, Ravnica has similarities in some ways to uh, to Eberron, but it's very vastly different. Um, it's And there, there are so many myriad examples of other planes that can work uh, in a Dungeons & Dragons sense that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Yeah, me too was was Elminster a planeswalker? Sure. Sounds great. Like he's he's probably one of the <laughs> old planeswalkers before the the mending happened where, you know, the planeswalkers kind of got powered down like 15 years ago in our time, um when the events of the time spiral happened and, you know, before that they were basically gods. They were so powerful and so unique and so ridiculous that they essentially were all Elminster. So.
0: Yeah. And there's precedent too with Elminster being able to travel to our plane uh, in those old uh, Dragon articles uh, where they would hang out in Ed Greenwood's kitchen.
3: Right. morning
0: <laughs> Canaan and Elminster and, and Ed Greenwood would hang out and talk. Yeah. And then you just put yeah. Jace Ballarion in that mix and it's He'd fit that right easy. In there. Yeah,
1: he fits perfectly. Throw Dredds yeah. in there too. I just feel sure. like. Sure. Well, really, you need somebody just sit to. Sit quietly in the corner. You
3: need somebody to defend the squishies. Right, so you know, we I will I the wizard will open the portal. You come along as my bodyguard and brood over there.
1: There you go.
0: That's that's one good thing that Drew is good at. Yeah, he's official brooder.
1: Yep, every party needs one. That's right. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned LARPing. That's something that you do. Let's talk about. Yeah, talk about the LARPing.
3: So I picked up LARPing, which is live action role playing, when I moved to LA. Um, A lot of my actor and writer friends had recommended it to me. Um, I'm friends with uh, Ryan Omega, who is the dungeon master for Arcana High, um, and among other shows, he does life action role play these days, all the great stuff that he's making over there. Um, Knox from Scabby Rooster, who runs Total Party Kills and a bunch of other things over on their channel, among others, um, were like, you would really enjoy this. And I was like, that's... Like, I'm a nerd, but LARP is a bridge too far, right? <laughs> like, that was the reaction in my brain. And I feel like everybody kind of has that initial reaction of, yeah, I do nerdy stuff. I play World of Warcraft or I play Magic the Gathering, but at least I'm not a LARPer, right? <laughs> like, there's some, there's some. I don't know where that comes from, but let me tell you, LARPing might be the least nerdy hobby that I have. It is really? work. It is exercise. It, it's the most exercise I get um, by a wide margin because you're hitting people with sticks, soft sticks, but sticks nonetheless. Yeah. And you're running and you're jumping and you're hiding and you're you're carrying your costuming on your back. Uh, so if you're an armored person in Southern California at the <laughs> workout. Um, You're sweating
0: bullets there. Yeah,
3: as opposed to playing Magic or playing D&D where, you know, I'm exercising my mind, but I'm not really exercising my body that much. Um, And so uh, that's one of the real big benefits of LARP. And the other thing is D&D is awesome and you get to be someone else for four hours every week or something like that. I get to be someone else for 40 hours every six weeks in a whole nother world, kind of like D&D, Um, but very different also because you get into these quiet moments that you kind of skip past when you're in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. You say, all right, take take your watch, roll your die, and then eight hours go past. It doesn't happen. You are watching. You are there for eight hours and having those quiet conversations and keeping your eyes on the darkness and you know, meeting the the NPCs and having to travel there. There's no there's no fast travel. You are walking with your mm. feet, um, and it, it's a vastly different experience. And the closest I felt like uh, I've been to quote unquote LARPing in a role playing sense was either at the Avernus reveal um, when you know everyone was on the sound stage and there was you know the actual war machines were there. Yeah. Uh, or um, the essentially what was called the LARP episode, but it was the live action episode of Colock uh, at Hyper RPG. Yes. Uh, where there were forty of us all playing characters, but only one person at a time was really talking. We all had stats, but we rolled like five dice through the whole episode, and so it's a vastly different pace and different style of role playing um and it's it's been just an absolute ton of fun it
0: sounds more i i have never been able to do it i've never found the time i enjoy uh the thought of it though because it's such a mixture of improv theater and uh you know the costuming and even the the lighting and the presentation uh you know can can use all those skills uh and i love that uh that transformation that can happen on stage like that uh, but then you also have this kind of epic adventuring feel, right? So you can actually immerse yourself in being, you know, the kind of characters that you used to pretend when you were a kid, right? Like, like I'm going to be Aragorn running through the forest, you know, I'm, I was the kid who had the yeah. stick, and I'd be whacking it against the bushes, that. and yeah, then it's like, oh, that, it's that orc is really getting it, you know, from from me, and, and um, it sounds like there's just, it's just so much more of that, where you have that full body imagining that, you know, is is very childlike, but to be able to do that as an adult with other adults who take it as i don't want to say seriously but you know as sure. as, as committed to it They're as as you are um it it it's probably the closest thing that we have to 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 transforming and being in that in that world
3: absolutely yeah i mean if you enjoy the sort of lighthearted hearted role play that is ren fair if you enjoy the uh in-depth, serious conversations that you have in certain games of role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons. And you have literally any other interest in social interaction, be it uh, cosplay, creating costumes, be it um, exercise and becoming a a, a stage fighter, effectively. Um, All different manner of people come to live action role-play events. And uh, particularly in Southern California, where I live, it's actors and writers and people who are inherently creative and many of whom are in the movie industry coming together to create what is really the most immersive role play experience I've ever been a part of.
1: So how does it work from like a story perspective? Is there like, there's not like a dungeon master, but is there like a story that you're all feeding into and do the NPCs kind of perpetrate the story? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand that part. So
3: the way it works for us is I go to a LARP called Twin Mask in Southern California. Uh, and there's about, I'm going to guess 400 people um,
1: 400 people.
3: Yeah. I mean, there was a huge boom in popularity. Um, if you've heard of Twin Mask before, it's possibly because uh, there was a segment on The World According to Jeff Goldblum, where jo- Jeff Goldblum showed up oh. and recorded an episode in the games episode. Um, that was a weird day. Um, <laughs> it's
1: getting weirder for yeah. Jeff Goldblum. It's <laughs> <He's laughs> popping up Boy, everywhere. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um, yeah. If you want weird, You can do worse than Jeff Goldblum. Anyway, (laughs) um, so uh, at any one time, there are probably 100 player characters, 150 player characters, walking around the game space, which is like an acre or two of, you know, like three quarters of a mile or area. And uh, then the rest of the people are NPCs. And they're wearing NPC costumes or they're just wearing what's, you know, a white headband signifying that they're out of character. And then there's also storytellers. And instead of DMs, there are storytellers. And the storytellers are wranglers, essentially, saying like, all right, you're a zombie. Go be a zombie. You're a politician. Go do this. Right. And they are sort of organizing things behind the scenes, making sure that all the mechanical things work. There's probably about 15 storytellers. Then there's a bunch of logistics people, 15 or 20. And they're also all players, right? They come off come off of their shift as a storyteller and then they go back into the game as their character. And it's sort of all this collaborative storytelling uh, working together like that. And so it... it is a science kind of to get everything scheduled correctly. I could never do it. Um, the folks who founded the, 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 this, this particular LARP are old school East Coast LARPers. And then this one has been around for 10 years or whatever. So they know what they're doing, but it is real complicated. You think getting a, five people at the table together is bad? Boy, howdy. Let me tell you what it's like trying to wrangle 400 people <laughs> at at a at a state campground or whatever
0: yeah yeah and ryan omega uh did a lot of great work uh for us around the iceman dale yeah uh the d and d live uh last year tried to do that you know that kind of thing on zoom uh mm-hmm. and uh you know to varying degrees of success but uh, he is i i love the work that he does and he he does it Dude. so well, wrangling all those people
3: ryan so I have a very unique experience with Ryan Omega. He and I play cousins in this LARP. So we're directly related. Oh, cool. He's also one of the first people I contacted when I moved to LA um because i knew that this was a person that i wanted to be attached to. He's such a powerhouse. He is endlessly creative, endlessly compassionate and just brilliant at creating these role play scenarios and getting the best out of performers without necessarily taking over the story and it's such a unique skill set.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. It's 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 akin to you know, being a film director or, or something like that where you have to have so many different departments and so many different, you know, things going in your head way more than just a dungeon master, as you said, with, with four or five people at the table. Yeah. So cool.
3: The other thing I will say about LARP is that as a player character, you're kind of also your own DM. Like, there's no one adjudicating what you can and cannot do. There's a, there's a, there's a level of trust of, like, if you get hit five times and don't go down... That's kind of akin to cheating almost, but it's on you to know how much of whatever skills you have left, right? And there's not always going to be a storyteller. You have to go create your own story and instigate your own role play and be a part of the world as much as you want the world to revolve around you. That's one of the big mistakes that new, like me even, you come into LARP expecting the d experience, it's, you're going to have a bad time. Because as the D&D party, you're the main character, and one person is tailoring an entire world to you. That doesn't happen in a, a much a, a, in a much more open world. The world exists, and you're in it, and you can make your own story, and you can maybe become some sort of main character, whatever that means in the context of your event, but you're going to be done with the events at the end of the weekend and say, like, man, I had such an epic journey on XYZ. And someone else would be like, I didn't even know that happened.
1: Oh, wow.
0: That is neat. That is yeah. neat. But I like that as a as a training ground for, for d d players, yeah. too, because I think a lot of folks who, you know, sometimes play in d d sessions kind of show up and just be like, all right, the Dungeon Master is going to. Entertain me, and I don't have to engage uh, or or bring any of my own characters' wants and needs and desires uh, to the table. When that's what the dungeon master needs, like you know, they need your engagement in order to uh, make it the most fun for you. And so, Mm -hmm. if if the relationship is always one direction, where it's always the dungeon master who's being creative, and it's not the players, that can get you know, taxing and may not even result in a very good game for any, anybody at the table. Yeah. But so I think you know, D and D players out there who are listening to this, think about LARPing. Think about that idea that how you have to make your own stories uh, in collaboration with everyone around you. Like you don't want to take away and and, and center yourself all the time. But there yeah. is something really powerful about uh, having your own story that you want to tell uh, and making decisions that impact and everybody has to to to. Uh, make decisions off of that, right? Yeah. And if you're just passive all the time being like, entertain me, you're not going to get
3: that that immersion. I mean, a lot of people ask me, what's the best way to become a better Dungeon Master? What's the best way to become better at D&D? And one of the biggest suggestions is try games that aren't D&D, honestly. Yeah. Like you need, t- I love D&D. It doesn't do everything the best and it doesn't do everything, period. And so trying other, not just role-playing games, trying other board games, trying other LARP is, a, is another thing that, you know, you need to expand your horizons at least a little bit beyond the player's handbook, um, which, you know, is a great resource and is most of what you need, but you're going to have a real specific experience if you only have that one uh, that one, you know, touchstone.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, read different stories, you know, watch as many different, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. fantastical or sci-fi stories, and then you'll be even that much more inspired, too. Like, be a sponge is what we're trying to say.
1: (laughs) Good advice for to be better at anything, really. Right.
3: Expand your horizons and let let your uh, let your let other people get rid of your roadblocks. Right. Like if you go into a DD game and you're like, I'm, you know, the, the cleric is the healer, right? Like this is a common trope is the cleric is going to be the healer. Mm-hmm. That's not really how the cleric class works. The cleric it can be a very good healer, but a cleric is not necessarily the healing class. If you look at it just from a, um, from a, from a rule book perspective, they're the best healing class. But the cleric can be a damage dealer. The cleric can be a tank. The cleric can do what uh, basically be a druid, honestly, right? There's a bunch of stuff. You could have an entire party of clerics and have no healers. And I think that a lot of people get locked into what their mind sees as this is the experience I want as dungeon of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. This is what Dungeons and Dragons is and what it can be. And then those horizons don't expand anymore. And expanding those horizons is super key, especially if you want to do it as a performance, especially if you want to do a streamed game, you need to be able to constantly be pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And um, it's a great vehicle for exploring yourself. It's an amazing vehicle for for getting through your own psyche and getting your own psychological um, uh, mind, getting out of your own mind. But you need to be open to the possibility that what your preconceived notions are don't need to happen. Getting rid of your own sacred cows. Yeah.
0: I love all that. That's good. That's good advice for, for, for players and dungeon masters, right? Because there can be those dungeon masters that lock into, this is the story I'm going to tell, you know, and without realizing like, nope, there's, there's a lot Mm -hmm. that's going to happen when the four
3: or five players interact with your ideas. And that was me, honestly. The first couple seasons, I was way more of a role, railroad DM, which is fine for a stream show because um, you kind of need to be a little bit of a teleplay performance. Yeah. But I realized I was way too hard in that direction and have since, you know, essentially done way less prep and become way more zen with like, all right, here's, here's the general idea. That's what I keep telling Shelly
0: is like, that you know, the zero prep uh, DM is so much fun because you
1: don't know, you don't know that what
3: you're going to do.
0: It's but not, I
1: don't know that that's what like a new dungeon master could really do. For
3: that. sure. Correct. You reach, yeah, you, that's true.
1: You, have, you sort of have like a Neo moment when
3: you're a dungeon master where you <laughs> over-prepare, you over-prepare, you over-prepare. And then one day you're just like, I'm just not going to do it. Right? Yeah. And then suddenly you release and become wind <laughs> and it's, and then that, Oh, I've
1: definitely released and became wind. Right? Not necessarily. And it's releasing. so
3: freeing <laughs> to be like, wow, it was, I didn't plan this scene. I didn't plan this NPC. I didn't plan this description. I didn't plan this combat. And it takes a lot of, pr- the, the preparation that goes into that is just knowing what rule stats are, how, you know, doing quick arithmetic on dice, knowing what, you know, the basic rule set is. And then using that to paint a picture.
1: Yeah. All the so, things I'm I'm not great at.
3: Well, it comes <laughs> with time. It comes with practice.
1: But yeah. I like that going into it with like that Zen feeling, like that's when you have the best stories, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody picks up on that. Like you just you don't know what's gonna happen. And when you don't know what's gonna happen, and you're not trying to make something happen.
3: Yeah. The players my, just
1: have that freedom.
3: My campaign notes these days. Are Like if you looked at one of my campaign notes from the first season, I had like five pages of just like way too much. And now me and my writing partner, Phil DeLuca, um, we sit down for an hour on Zoom and just like chat most of the time about magic. But then like occasionally we'll come back to the doc and I'll write like my three paragraph intro recap of what happened last week. And then there'll be like three bullet points. Yeah, Like here's here's what we have this week. And Ah. I'll just be like, all right, players. What are we doing? Right. And it really helps to have a talented cast. Obviously, you know, you need to have, you need to have that interplay. And so having folks like Jordan and, uh, and, and Danielle who joined this season, Daniel Radford, um, have, having really talented players super helps as
1: well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you're, you are often guesting on other shows. You've popped up on yeah. many different. Streams.
3: I'd love to be on more, but uh, <laughs> he's available. Everyone, with, I'm available. <laughs> Whenever someone invites me, I I try to make the time.
1: So, question about that: like, how? What's the prep involved in like dropping into a game? Like, if you're mm. sometimes it's just like, oh, you're just going to be in one episode, or if, if you don't really know the cast that well, or you don't really have time to like build a lot of your character backstory and background, like. How do you do that? How do you just drop into these games like that? Yeah,
3: it's very it's it's tough, honestly. Yeah. Guesting on a especially on a streamed show um, where you don't want to pull focus. You want to be a member of the D anD D party. It's not like you're a guest star on Seinfeld or whatever, where <laughs> right. you you can just ham it up the whole time, and it's a show, so who cares? In a collaborative storytelling effort, you want to be able to share the scene while not being a two-dimensional bland character. It's very difficult to be able to pull off. Um, And I'm not sure I've done it really that successfully. But having very unique uh, touchstones and styling uh, can help with that. I played a character named Jasper J. Bilgewater on uh, Pirates of Salt Bay. (laughs) Um, who was kind of, who was a artificer, artillerist. (laughs) And uh, he was a ton of fun to play. And he had a very unique voice. He had a very unique manner of uh, dealing with people. Um, And he had some interesting choices by the end of his uh, episode. And so I think that, you know, having two or three adjectives and sticking with those those key descriptors to be able to guide your moral compass. Um, and having a uh, changing your body or, or face or voice in some way to be able to touch into a different kind of character than you usually are. Those are two great ways to be able to do it. Um, some of the, something I did to try to help my guests this season, Uh, We had Gabe Hicks on one episode, and we had Gil Ramirez on one episode. And in addition to having them build player characters, I had them play gods of Theros. um, Because as the DM, I wanted to just be hands-off, right? And so I was just like, all right, Gabe, you're the god of storms. All right, Gil, you're the god of the forge, right? Like, I just handed them the keys, and I sat back and watched. And when somebody asked for a dice roll, I would adjudicate the dice roll. But I did very little DMing in those moments. Um, and because you can just prepare and then release and become wind.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but it helps It helps them too, because there's so much written about Perforos. There's so much written about Keranos that I'm like, all right, you want to play a god? I mean, wh- how many experiences are you going to get to play a god, right? Yeah. Here's 10 pages on, on Keranos. You'll probably use none of it, but here it is. Right. And then I'll give them a paragraph description of how Keranos would uh treat the players' quest that they were on. And then I'd answer follow-up questions and just, you know, let let them out off into the off the nest. Oh.
0: I love that Gil has become not only does he is he a blacksmith by trade, uh he's become I can role play your blacksmith. He's like he did he form, did that yeah. in the <laughs> uh, Stream of Many Eyes. He did it at the descent, he was Bell the 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 uh, you know devil who is crafting so many of the war machines uh, and and Purphoros, like how great is that
3: he larps too he's uh, one of my one of my buddies in character too
0: that's why uh, that's why we got him on board for for the yeah. stream many eyes because it was like oh yeah you can you can use your larp skills and your blacksmithing skills <laughs>
3: together yeah he's they, i mean uh, the the talent of the D&D performance community is constantly mind blowing and it's especially it, in uh, Southern California. I feel like there's I mean, that that like crazy, that like, you know, like, uh, just the meteor hobby. of people who are are excited to do whatever you throw at them. Essentially, mm-hmm. and then every once in a while, one of them will be like, "Oh, by the way, I'm also in this TV show, right? Or I also <laughs> wrote this pilot,
0: right? By the way, I'm Jeff Goldblum, and
1: right, like, Oh exactly. shit, sure. <laughs> right? You are? <laughs> I thought you were
0: just that elven Sorcerer. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Awesome. Well it's been so great getting to uh chat again with you, Ruben. I'm glad that Shelly, you and, and, finally. <laughs> and finally this is great.
1: Yep.
3: I'm so happy to get Work to chat again. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I try to be uh as charismatic as I possibly can be.
1: Well,
3: <laughs> well it worked. It worked.
0: You got an eighteen at least. Maybe maybe seventeen. <laughs> all
3: right. All right. Yeah. I'll take it. My con is super low, so I need the uh I need something to up that dump stat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Well, we're excited about, uh, you know, as you said, uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. I'm sure there'll be a lot of content coming from you around that since you've got your toe in those both of those worlds for sure. And uh, I don't think we got anything new coming for Broken Pact officially yet. Not officially, no. Well,
3: we just ended the the season four in Theros, but uh, we've set up future um, story. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled and, and maybe something will come along.
0: Nice. Maybe around a, a certain school, perhaps.
3: Ooh. 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 That'd be interesting.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm. Of course, I'm talking about Eton. No, I don't know. I was trying to think of a weird school. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
3: The real-world school that Elminster visited? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I have not considered doing a D&D Strixhaven crossover, but I may have to look into that. That's interesting. It hmm. Could be cool.
1: Let us know what you yeah. discover. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, thanks
3: again for being on, and uh, looking forward to finally getting to see you in person again one of these days. Yeah, I'll have to make a trip up to Seattle again. It's been too long. Uh, yeah. to see all my friends up there. We'll bring no you into ambushes. a room
0: and ambush you. No,
3: damn it. <laughs> You're right. Uh-huh. We
0: uh-huh. won't. We won't do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we I
3: might I, do that. I, I, I'm I'm more vigilant this time. I'm not sure I can be as surprised, but uh, we'll see. I would love to be. It, we'll put it that way.
1: You know, Wizards ambushed me, too, when I interviewed. I was really? totally caught off guard. I guess this is how, like, normal businesses, companies did interviews, but mm. I never really had, like, a real job properly before Wizards. And <laughs> when I came in for my interview, I thought it was just going to be, like, me and this nice guy I talked to on the phone, and there was, like, 20 people in a room. And I was very scared. Very, yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I still, I still don't have a real job. So, <laughs>
1: real job. You, you know. have a cool job. Freelance life. You have many cool jobs. Yes, yes.
3: I get fired for a living. Is what I like to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's fired the theater performer
0: right there. You're like, yeah. hey, I got a job for two months. Just got fired. Mm-hmm. Going again. Yep. Good well, here's to many more hirings before as many firings.
3: I, I, I look forward to getting fired as often as possible.
1: <laughs> and hired. And then
3: hired later so that I can get fired again. Yeah, and then take
0: uh, eight points
3: of damage. Oh okay. well, I'll Greg. make a note. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna roll. <laughs> luckily, under. luckily, as a very on, extremely online person, I have resistance to psychic damage. So. <laughs> I mean, I want some of that. <laughs> All right?
1: Gotta Don't build read up the that comments. Thick skin. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's how we should end every interview Greg and let's see I oh, have 16 points of damage good talking to you this Bye. see you later if
0: you survive <laughs> good
3: luck
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love talking to Ruben Perfect. Bressler what a great creative individual and uh, he makes me want to move to Southern California so I can join that LARPing group
1: I know right that sounds fun and yeah. also he's like a success story of somebody who's like I'm just gonna move to LA and make things happen Dreams do come true.
0: It's true. Yeah. yeah, you get to play in games as much as you can and uh, hang out with some really fun, creative people.
1: Yep, it's just going to keep getting better and better for that kid. I like him.
0: It's true, and uh, if for anybody who's excited about all the lore and story around Magic: The Gathering and how you can play it with D anD D, he's a great, uh, uh, you know, conduit for that. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't checked out. The Four Seasons of Broken Pact Uh, It is available on the Dungeons & Dragons channels, but also through the Saving Throw. Uh, So look there and consume it all and be inspired.
1: Yes. How could you not be?
0: Ooh, that was almost like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of voice there.
1: Oh, oh, I should. How could it not be? Uh, I will say that this weekend we were watching old episodes of The Muppet Show. We were watching Mm. the one that has Mark Hamill. And C-3PO and R2-D2. Nice. And C-3PO has some good lines on there. And every time he said something funny, Quinn would turn around to me and he would go, do it. (laughs) 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 Like, you want me to do my C-3PO voice? He's like, yes, do it.
0: Do it now. So he made you do those lines in your C-3PO voice? Yes. Yes.
1: I know. It's so great having
0: kids, so they can, you know, be the best audience members ever that you've ever wanted.
1: He's a really good audience. I didn't realize that that he liked my voice so much. He likes your voices. That's so great. Does. Mm. Well,
0: people can get in touch with you on social media and let them know how much they love your voices or just your your, your demeanor in general. How can they do that?
1: Uh, oh, you can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow my new Instagram account, and you guys are—I think I'm at like 50 followers now. <gasps> wow, nice! And it's at Two Old Moms. Um, I had to put it up on Twitter too, but I only have like four followers on Twitter. So let's focus on Instagram. I'm not gonna like over ask here. If you can only follow one thing of me, throw your throw your follow to two old moms on Instagram for um some tired old parenting.
0: You should do it for no other reason than to see the picture that is the avatar or the profile pic for your Twitter. Oh, my, I, I called the entire family. and I'm like, oh, my God, look at Shelly when she was, uh, what, 15 in that picture? 16?
1: Yeah, maybe about 15 yeah. or 16.
0: You've got very big hair Huge. because it was the 80s. Huge. Teased up.
1: Oh, the, the bigger, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. That it is was, like some seriously damaged hair follicles.
2: <laughs> it was
0: <laughs> spectacular. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fun to go back in time. It is. It yeah. really is. Thank you. So go follow and find, see that picture for yourself, and please, please do let her know how two broke moms is doing. No, two old, two, two old broke old
1: moms. moms. <laughs> God. And what When am are I you starting view? that podcast? Oh, um, I don't know. My my friend, who's also in the picture, that's Doctor Cynthia. Um, she's she's an actual doctor, so she actually might have good advice for you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> me, on the other hand, not so much. Uh, we keep talking about it, but soon. Soon. Yeah. Nice. Speaking, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll make it happen. I'm excited okay. to listen. Uh, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter, as well as Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And I've got a little podcast called The Reengage TNG. You can follow that uh, and uh, listen to four aging Gen X actors and performers talk about the old Star Trek episodes, uh, starting with the first season of The Next Generation. We're almost done with the first season, so uh, check it out.
1: (laughs) It's Gen X. Gen X is is where to be right now.
0: It really is. Maybe it's just because I've always been so firmly ensconced in the slackerdom of of Gen X, uh, but it is certainly an age.
1: Yeah, I like it.
0: If you want to find out everything about Dungeons and Dragons, you can go to dnd.com. No, dungeonsanddragons.com and download Dragon Plus to your phone. There's a really great issue coming out with tons of stuff around Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, as well as it's out. Yeah. You
1: can see that horrible bag man. It's a bag man. He's in there. It's a very, very good issue. Very good issue.
0: Tons of wonderful preview content as well as creative stuff flowing through the Dragon Plus. Yeah, So do that. And you can look at that on dragonmag.com if you're interested and don't want to download it to your phone. But it is better on the phone, I will say.
1: It's handy for sure.
0: Virtual Play Weekend is coming up. What can you this tell us weekend, about that, Shelley?
1: Um, I was, you know, if you're feeling like, I just really want to play some D&D and I don't have anyone to play with. Or I don't, I don't know how to play or can't get the group together. You know what? You can. This weekend, May 7th through 9th, we have D&D Virtual Play Weekends happening. You can sign up. Uh, just go to the website and there'll be all the information that you need there. You Most games are two or four hours long um, and they're all um, hosted on many different platforms. So if you like Zoom or Discord or Roll20, whatever your jam is, there's probably a Dungeon Master and a platform waiting for you. No party needed. No Dungeon Master needed. Just sign up. Get in there.
0: Do it. Excellent. Make it happen. And there is a Dungeon Master panel associated with that as well that Ruben Bressler will be on.
1: Yeah. 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 So amongst just a, other
0: folks. A that ton you may of know big stuff.
1: Yes. We'll put a link to it right there in the show notes. Awesome. Again, everything you need.
0: Anything else we want to talk about before we get to our drunky and daryl story?
1: I think I think we've I think we've talked probably enough. Yeah. It's kind of
0: yeah, let's do it. So, uh, after ha- an altercation in an alley with three, perhaps uh, shapeshifters or doppelgangers, uh, sh- uh, Drunky was able to grab a amulet and run away as fast as she could through the streets of Waterdeep, uh, avoiding an apple cart. Uh, Daryl was following along, and they finally got, got to the uh, North Ward. And the safe house and Daryl did a special knock uh, at the door and uh, you were able to be let inside to a very dingy uh, room. There's no open windows. Uh, It is very um, uh, musty and dusty. Uh, So the small amount of sunlight that is getting in, you can kind of see it filtering through the boarded up uh, windows. Um, and inside is uh, a table and four chairs, uh, two of which are occupied uh, amongst people who look like they're playing a card game. And the person who let you in is a, uh, a thin, tall man, uh, old, uh, with uh, gray hair, kind of pulled back in a ponytail. Um and he says to both of you, he's like, yes, yes, please close the door.
1: Oh uh, come on uh, in, come in. We saw shapeshifters.
0: Yes, they are they are everywhere in the city.
1: Why Although, are they why why do they look like Daryl? Why him?
0: I am uncertain. Uh Daryl, are you aware that they have been uh taking y- your shape? Uh and Daryl says, Yes, but there. uh it is quite disconcerting to have to fight yourself.
1: But why? Why are they... Why Daryl?
0: We do not know, says the long-haired man, uh, but the organization is uh, at full alert. Uh, We are calling our members uh, from other cities, attempting to fill the streets with as many trusted agents as possible so that we can determine what their plan is. But most of us are afraid there is a coup in a coup? effect. They are planning to take over uh, positions of the secret lords of Waterdeep and are de- trying to determine who they are, as well as uh, Leryl Silverhand, our leader.
1: Do they I don't think-, think
0: Doppelganger will be able to assume her position, uh, but... They seem to have uh, quite a few resources at their disposal.
1: Do they think that, that Daryl is just a somebody who's close to the secret lords? Or do they think he is a secret lord? Daryl, are you a secret lord?
0: No, I'm not a secret lord. What are you talking about? I, I, I We grew up together. How would I have been a secret lord of Waterdeep this you entire time? You were
1: missing time? for a while. I don't know what you were doing. Um, can I do an insight check on this guy? Sure. The ponytail is really throwing me. Twelve. <laughs> I don't 12. trust sensitive ponytail man. Uh,
0: so he seems very concerned uh, and cautious. You know, he's he's absorbing what you're saying and he's trying to give you information. Uh, but he is also uh, in the back of his mind. Even with the twelve, you can kind of tell that he's just as suspicious as you are.
1: Suspicious of me.
0: Of both of you, uh, you know, he's. You can see his eyes kind of darting and, and trying to, you know, look for any signs of uh, that you're not who you say you are.
1: Okay, I am going to show him the amulet. What is this? I if one of the shapeshifters was wearing this. Mm. I got it off of him.
0: <laughs> Daryl says you did. Actually, it was me. You were. You could barely yank a a, I, a, a chain off a dog.
1: And I interrupt like <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: the ponytailed man says, This is very interesting. Uh, but uh please I, I must examine this. Uh I'll if go you would like you. to sit down, uh there's uh some uh libations uh, uh that you can have uh while no. I examine this this no, symbol I'm, is I'm unfamiliar to me. I'm coming with you. He's not well he's not going anywhere, he's just gonna sit down and kinda oh. look at this amulet well, a little
1: bit. Then I'm gonna just keep staring at him while also taking advantage of his libations.
0: All right, so you guys, uh, I kind of go over to the barrel. that's cracked open in the corner, uh, and uh, there's a few dirty mugs there, but not too terrible.
1: Oh, I've had worse.
0: Uh, Okay, great, and we'll pick it back up when he looks at this amulet and tells you exactly what it is.
1: Oh, I'm excited to find out. Hopefully he knows. What do you think the
0: amulet looks like?
1: Amethyst.
0: Amethyst?
1: I think probably because amulet and amethyst sound alike. But in my mind, yes. It's definitely uh, a very, like a, kind of a pear-shaped amethyst necklace is what okay. I'm picturing. I With the,
0: any symbols or anything on it?
1: Uh, no. No. I mean, not that Drunky's eyes can see. <laughs> Maybe All right. she's not looking close enough, but.
0: Uh, okay. So almost like a teardrop amethyst. That's what you're imagining. Yeah. All right. Have you been? That's how you've been picturing it in your head the whole time. The whole time. Interesting. Uh, Okay. The funny thing is, is I haven't been picturing anything. I've just been like, oh, he's got an amulet, and it looks the same as the one from before. Um,
1: (laughs) Oh. Yeah. So that's
0: funny that uh, I didn't I didn't have a clear picture of what it was in my head, and now I do.
1: Okay, we're gonna go with it.
0: Of course. Yeah. You're you're a you know a contributor to the story. Did we just talk about that in the interview?
1: Yeah, we did. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, I got just a crystal wouldn't necessarily be an am. Well, it is. That's what it, that's what it is in my head. You can add some adornments to it if you want.
2: Okay.
0: Well, maybe he can find them out through magical means. Okay. Excellent. Goodbye.
2: Bye.